So you, you and I have all been there where you go to a wedding and the pastor gets to the little message part and says, and now a reading from, and you might turn to the person next to you and say, is it going to be 1 Corinthians 13? Is it going to be that one? Is it going to be that one? It is. It's that one. 1 Corinthians 13, the wedding passage, right? And the pastor starts going and, and, and love is patient, love is kind and sitting there thinking, this just all sounds impossible. This all sounds like love is patient. The groom's already impatient. He wants us to be done with. He's ready to move on. And, and love is kind. You see, you look around and people are rolling their eyes, checking their watches, all this stuff. And I used to think when I was sitting here listening to messages on 1 Corinthians 13, yeah, let's start off this wedding with a whole bunch of fluff and impossible expectations for these two lovebirds that have no idea what they're stepping into. It doesn't take long for any of us to realize that our own love is so fractured and broken. Did any of you have 1 Corinthians 13 in your wedding ceremony? Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take for you to realize, hey, this is hard? Not long. Any of you on the way home? All right. Yeah. I remember the next morning we were flying out for our honeymoon and our flight was, uh, it wasn't delayed. It was the opposite. They moved it up. How do they do that? Well, when you don't have much money, you go through some weird travel agent and they just do things. And so it was a very stressful thing. We learned that love should be patient, but sometimes it doesn't seem like it is. Here's the thing. Love is the greatest thing in the world. It's also the most demanding. And while this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is frequently used in weddings, and it rightly calls us to know this love and to seek to embody this love, what we see, what we know, is that the love that is described in this passage, it's the love of God. And while it's fitting at weddings, for it reveals what true love is, that it's found in God alone, it's also fitting for this season we're in as we approach Christmas. For Christmas is all about God entering into creation to seal his love with his beloved bride. And that's why we are in this series called Love Came Down. Pastor Curry did a great job kicking us off last week, and we continue going through slowly 1 Corinthians 13 today with verses 4 through 5. Allison made me chuckle earlier this week. She says, that's it? Just two verses? I said, did you look at those verses? There's nine points in that verse if I stay on topic, which I won't. So strap yourselves in. If you thought we'd be done like that, I want you to learn today that love is patient. So let's go into God's Word together. 1 Corinthians 13, it's verses 4 through 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. We start with love is patient and kind. Would you consider yourself a patient person? <laughs> That's a scary thing to raise your hand for, right? Because you know you need to ask the person who knows you best, hey, am I a patient person, right? I mean, even the most patient of us have our limits. Meg, my wife, is the most patient person I've ever met. So when Meg loses her patience, it's like Armageddon. It's terrifying. I'm like, oh no. 
And isn't, wouldn't you say patience, it might just be tested the most in this month leading up to Christmas? Yeah. Anyone willing to admit you've lost your patience this holiday season, something big or small? You don't want to raise your hand, but I'm, I'm going to lose patience if you're not going to contribute. I mean, come on. We have all lost our patience at some point during the season. I mean, it's just so much. It's a hot pot. But at the same time, doesn't Christmas also remind us of the patience of God? The promise of a Savior, it was spoken of for centuries and centuries before Jesus ever came to earth. It dates all the way back, in fact, to the Garden of Eden. God says to Satan, he, Jesus, will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this, and from the last prophet all the way to that, that angel heralding the coming of Jesus, there was a perceived silence from God for 400 years. God is patient. He doesn't rush. He has no need to rush. He reveals loving patience and his perfect timing. Look at what it says in Galatians. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the set time had come. I made checks mix this past week two times. It's a new hobby of mine because I needed another hobby. And it was really hard to wait the set time. But I knew I needed to wait the set time or else what happens? It gets soggy. You have to wait the set time. God waited the set time. God, standing outside of all of time, knowing the full measure of it all, he can patiently accomplish his grand purposes. He is patient. And he shows us that patience is an expression of love because doesn't he deal so patiently with all of us? Praise God, he is patient with us. You ever ask God for like a sign? You ever want to see it from his vantage point? Like, well, there was that thing. There's that person I had, you know, they, they told you this. There's that time, you know, right there you read that passage. There's that thing you heard at church. There was this, 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 and this. There's all the signs that you missed. But because I love you, I'm going to continue to walk with you. God is patient with us. Because love isn't just patient. Love's also kind. We know, after all, patience in itself is kind. Patience is a kind act. After all, can you imagine being like, frustratingly patient. It doesn't compute. Like, oh, you're making me so angry with how patient you are. No. One hand, you know, it's kind of funny we're talking about these core things, patience and kindness. These are some of the first things we're trying to, 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 to teach our children to embrace and to practice and to know is patience and kindness. But you and I both know it sounds simple and it's incredibly hard. And quite frankly, patience and kindness have become more and more of a rare commodity in this day and age. Would you agree? But then we look to Jesus. If you were around this summer, we went through a whole series on following the way of Jesus. And we talked about the pace of Jesus. We talked about the pace of love. Jesus was never annoyed with the person he was with. He was never rushing by people saying, I got something more important to do, like saving all of humanity. No. He slowed down and he stopped. And he was present with those right with him, endlessly 
patient, even with the Pharisees. Yes, he speaks harsh words, but he still remains patient. See, wow, that's the speed of Jesus. That's the speed of love. He was always present to the one right in front of him. If anyone had any right to lose their patience, it was Jesus. And he never did. He never did, because love is patient. <laughs> Are you talking about the temple? When he, yeah, he did flip some tables. He did flip some tables, but you will read, he goes in and he looks around. He made a decisive act to flip tables, and he wasn't having it. But at the same time, it was a decisive act. When we lose our patience, a lot of times it's unwillingly, wouldn't you say? Yeah. But no, his expression, he expresses his love through his patience, through his kindness to those that are right in front of him. He exemplified this throughout his earthly life, of course, but the kindness of love, it's also evident in the very act of God sending his son to the world in the first place. God did not have to save us. But out of his loving kindness, he stepped down into darkness and reveals his love through his gift of salvation that comes from him alone. God is incredibly patient and overwhelmingly kind. So the question for us then is, how might we better glorify the Lord and reflect his love through our own sacrifice of patience and kindness? And I put that word sacrifice there intentionally because every time we are patient with someone, every time we choose kindness over the other way, we are giving something else up. So what is our sacrifice of patience and kindness? My encouragement for you, for me, for all of us, is name that person that you find you lose your patience with the most. I got my name. It might be a child that lives with me. <laughs> and think about how would Jesus interact with this ch person? And then ask that question of yourself. Who is that person? And then identify what is your trigger that makes it hard for you to share love. Maybe for you it's in traffic. <laughs> and there's a lot of it right now. Maybe for you, it's those Christmas parties you keep having to go to. Maybe for you, it's just with those people at work you interact with, not me. Where do you need to show a little extra dose of love? Name it. Write it down. And then ask God to work in and through you in that area. Because remember that patience and kindness that our Lord has for us, and then we're called to go and do the same. Love is patient. Love is kind. And yes, love does not envy, and it does not boast. It's kind of easy to see how love and envy don't mix, right? You can see that. It, it, it doesn't mix. The, the same with boasting. If you're boasting, you're raising yourself up, usually over and above another. And when you view envy and boasting, those two things together, what does it show you? It, it shows you, well, if love's not that, then love is humble, Love is humble. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. What is it? It's humble. God's love, as seen through Jesus, reveals he does not envy the grandeur of this world, but he instead chooses a path of humility. Did you ever see a time reading scripture where, where Jesus is sitting there and he's looking at that boat and he goes, oh man, that's a fine boat. I wish I had that boat. I want that Or he's looking at another person's pair of sandals and like, I just gotta have those sandals. I don't have the money for it. Or another set of disciples from another rabbi. I'm like, man, 
They probably wouldn't betray me. No. No. He does not envy. The flip side, Jesus, again, and Jesus alone, has every right to boast. He's the Savior of the world. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But as he walked this earth, he chose the gentle way, the lowly way, the way of humility, the humble way. Jesus, who is love incarnate, does not boast. The very fact he was born and the way he was born is testament to this fact. Pastor Curry mentioned Philippians 2 last week, which speaks to Jesus' act of humility, that he humbled himself, humbled himself, humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. He entered creation. He was born of a virgin in a barn to zero earthly fanfare, the Savior of the world. Jesus later would say that the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. Elsewhere, he reveals that his very heart is gentle and lowly. That's who he is at his being. As followers of Christ, we are called to embrace humility recognizing that our Savior, the only one with bragging rights, chose not to boast, but to serve and to save. Now, for us mere mortals, we can fall into envy or boasting pretty easily. We get envious of someone else's success, wishing it was ours, or, or their possessions, or their seemingly easy path through life. You know, I want that. I wish I had that. I long for that. Or we're quick to, to boast, viewing ourselves as God's gift to man for what we contribute to the world, for everything we get to do for other people, and, and how amazingly gifted we are, and selfless, and of course humble we are, and all these things. Envy and boasting, what do they do? But they reveal a misalignment in our own view of love. True love, as seen in Jesus Christ, naturally will orient us towards contentment and humility. And Jesus, we already have everything we need. And the king of the world went to the cross for me. That draws you to your knees. That puts you in a humble posture. So as we again look in the mirror, where have we kind of felt some envy this past week? Where did it creep up? And in what ways... Have we maybe done a little bit of boasting in our abilities, our actions, or simply had an inflated sense of self? The question is, how can we invite God's humble love into and over these things? Because what we quickly find as we go into this, you probably are thinking it because it's the next one, as we nuance the depth and the breadth of love, is that love is not proud. It is not proud. It's, love is not about us. It's not founded in us. It's founded in God. The Almighty chose to dwell among us. His name is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He came to dwell as a vulnerable baby. The love that came down at Christmas reveals to us that true love is not to make our own name great in our pride, but to rather lower oneself for the sake of others as Jesus Christ does. We've all been there. When pride creates a barrier in our relationships, we're too proud to admit when we royally messed up. We're too proud to say what we need to say. We're too proud to do what we need to do. But then we look to Jesus, 
We look to Jesus. Look at this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. He's a pastor, theologian. Our Lord Jesus Christ exchanged the throne of glory for a manger borrowed from animals. When he was presented to the temple, his parents could afford only the offering made by the poor. He had no place to lay his head. His only possession of any worth when he died was a seamless robe someone had lovingly made for him. He was buried in a borrowed grave, yet he became poor to make us rich. Our Savior was beaten. He was mocked. He was spat upon. He was scorned. He was shamed. All of it undeserving. And not once did he stop and say, don't you know who I am? Not once did he say, I don't deserve this. He willingly went to the cross, not letting pride stand in the way, but went to the cross for the love, and indeed, as it says in Hebrews 12, the joy that was set before him. No wonder Paul wrote to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider yourselves, excuse me, whether in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. True love is not prideful. There's no room for us to be arrogant when we see how love incarnate walked and lived without pride. There's no room for us to be arrogant when every gift that we have comes from God. True love is deeply humbling. Have you felt that? Have you ever had a great expression of love from a parent, from a spouse, from a child? The other day, Crosby, he's, uh, he's five years old, and on his own, he just comes up to me, Dad, I love you. Oh, pick me up off the floor, grab a mop, because I'm melted, right? True love is deeply humbling. Even more, how great is God's love for us? See, humility replaces arrogance when we realize that love came down for us at Christmas. So we, re we return to the mirror. How has your pride stood in the way of you giving and receiving love? With those close to you? And indeed, with God Almighty. See, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. And it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. See, there's no way to practice loving gossip. There is no loving way to put another person down. And you cannot be rude in Jesus' name. I, I, I wish I didn't even have to say this for all of us, for humanity in general, but there's a sad, gut-wrenching reality that in the brokenness of this world, there are many who believe these things, that you can do these things, that we gossip under the guise of having loving concern. Or we ruthlessly seek to further the kingdom by hurting a whole lot of people in the way. Where we say, hey, too bad, the truth hurts. See, sometimes that is true. The truth hurts. But are we convicting others or are we letting the Holy Spirit do the convicting? See, we don't speak the truth in Jesus' name by also forsaking grace. 
he came with both in equal measure. And though we may not name it so bluntly, we are all guilty of this. Not a human on earth that isn't. It's increased in recent years, or at least the exposure of it has increased in recent years, this idea of Christian bullying. I have an important message, and I'm going to let it be shared, and I don't care who it hurts, they need to hear it, and I'm moving on. Or, just as dangerously, pastors with an edge. I would say spiritually abusive pastors. And they all, in the name of advancing the kingdom, seem to forget about the way of Jesus. They forget about the fruit of the Spirit. They forget that the definition and the embodiment of love is found in Jesus Christ. So you cannot raise up the name of Jesus by throwing others down. Look at what Isaiah says about the way of Jesus. Here's my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he'll bring forth justice. Now Jesus, he will bring forth justice. His holiness absolutely demands it. So he will. He is the judge. He is alone the judge. But he gives his people every opportunity to turn to him first. The ultimate judge leads with love. He will enact judgment, but we're not the judge. Praise God we're not the judge. Praise God that the one who will bring his justice about is Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of love. Now here's the thing. We, a lot of us don't willfully step into these things. We're not saying, I'm going to bully people in Jesus' name, right? If you do, that's, that's a bit of a problem. We can talk. <laughs> But we kind of slide into it unknowingly, unwittingly, even sometimes with good intentions. But that leads to the next point. That is that love is not self-seeking. Put another way, you could say that love does not insist on its own way, but it submits to the way of Jesus. Love is not self-seeking. It does not insist on its own way. In the brokenness of this world, we're often told we can and we should go our own way, that we can own our truth. You know that what people say, we can own our truth, that we can self-identify, we can self-initiate, we can practice and believe whatever it is that feels good and right. But the way of love, the way of Jesus, true love, the way of a follower of Jesus is to lay down our own lives for the sake of his. To pick up and be reminded of our new identity that is found in Christ alone. We believe we are created in the image of God. That we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus Christ is the way, is the truth, and the life. That our creator God is sovereign over all and that our life is not our own. And so true love. Love does not go its own way. It follows the way of God. That is the way of love. It's not self-seeking, and it is not self-guided. We submit and we surrender to the Jesus way, saying he is our Lord. So we'll follow the way of love. So the question for all of us are the ways we talk with and about others loving. In what ways do we need to repent to seek the way of Jesus in our own thoughts, our words, and our deeds? 
Because then we get to the next one. Love is not easily angered, and it also keeps no record of wrongs. This is perhaps the most astounding at all. We know God forgives. If you've been in a church ever, you may, you should hear that message. But to read that love keeps no records of wrongs is astounding. I mean, can you imagine if God did keep a record of our wrongs? I mean, we'd each have an entire library's worth. And that's just this past year. For some of us, this past month. Right? My goodness. But God's word assures us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is love. That is true love. That's the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus that in the face of all our transgressions, instead of storming away in anger, he comes closer in love. Look at what it says in Psalm 145. This is a repeated refrain throughout Scripture of a testament to who God is. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. If love is patient, it is not easily angered. If it is kind, it's not easily angered. And when it's angered, it is angered at the right things, such as sin and evil and pain and sorrow. God's long-suffering relationship and his covenantal promises reveal to us the richness and the pervasiveness of God's love. And Christmas marks the time that love entered into creation in this profound and this new way. With the arrival of Jesus came the arrival of the greatest offering, reconciliation, love, and forgiveness for all who call on him. So have you received his love and forgiveness? Have you heard this message and said, Yes, Lord, I have fallen short. Yes, Lord, you are Lord and Savior of all. I believe in you and I will follow you. Have you received his love and forgiveness? And then we turn it around, who do we need to love and forgive? For when we hold things against others, we're then acting as though we are better than God. God keeps no record of wrongs. For while we were still sinners, which means at the apex of our betrayal of God, he loved us first. And love keeps no record of wrongs. It is not easily angered. It is not self-seeking. It does not dishonor others. It is not proud. It does not boast. It does not envy. It is kind. It is patient. It is Jesus. And it is available for you, for all of us. This is the love that Jesus, our Savior, has for all his children. This is the love that came down at Christmas. This is the love that sustains your every breath and maintains the rhythm of your heart. There is no grace greater than the grace of God. So let us approach Christmas with a renewed commitment to receive and embody the love that we see revealed in the manger, this patient, this kind, this humble, and this sacrificial love of our Savior. That's the love we all want. That's the love we all need. That's the love we all crave. And it's the love that we all have in Jesus Christ. We say this all 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God of all love and compassion, we just are humbled. And we give you thanks and praise this day in view of your great love for us. God, it's so unfathomable. We, we buy the lie that we think that we could lose your love or that we forget it in the ways we act. We feel this deep guilt, this shame even, when we feel like we're not worthy of your love. And Lord, we, we know we're actually not worthy of your love. There's nothing we've ever done that could ever earn it. Nothing we could ever do to hang on to it outside of you. We have this love because you are love incarnate. We have this forgiveness, not because of anything we've done, but all because of what you have done for us. Lord God, we thank you. We are humbled and we are in awe. But Lord, we pray that we don't just sit here basking in the majesty and the wonder of your love, but we feel compelled to respond. We know we aren't perfect. We know we're going to mess up. But your grace picks us up and sustains. Your grace that covers all our sins. There is none greater. There is none better. There is none higher. So Lord, may you in your love continue to uphold us. Will you show us our next step? Will you invite us back into your love? Will you reveal the way to love well in your name? We long for it to be so. So this is our prayer. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.